You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Notes on rising international tension in Eastern Europe, a watering hole campaign in Hong Kong. The U.S. and the EU have joined the Paris call. NSO Group's prospective CEO resigns his position before formally assuming it. Void Balaur, a cyber mercenary group, is active on the Russophone cyber underground. Johannes Ulrich on leaked vaccination cards and COVID tests. Our guest is Carolyn Crandall of Ativo Networks on what organizations should be focused on to protect Active Directory. CISA intends to increase its capacity to work against misinformation and disinformation, and they also intend to recruit white hat hackers to an advisory board. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, November 12, 2021. Since international conflict inevitably brings cyber conflict in its wake, we begin with a brief account of rising tension in Eastern Europe. Ukraine has expressed concern over Russian troop movements near its borders, and other governments have seconded Kiev on the matter. Bloomberg quotes U.S. Secretary of State Blinken as saying the deployments resemble the run-up to the 2014 invasion of Crimea. There are also problems between Belarus and its neighbors. Minsk's push of migrants over the Polish, Latvian, and Lithuanian borders, which foreign policy calls exporting instability, and Belarusian President Lukashenko's threats to stop natural gas deliveries to the EU, should the EU sanction Belarus, according to the Washington Post, are additional sources of friction. According to the BBC, in the view from Warsaw, the Russian and Belarusian actions represent a campaign coordinated by Moscow. Bloomberg writes that the U.S. has warned the EU of the possibility of a Russian attack against Ukraine, but Russia's ambassador to the U.N., according to the Military Times, says there will be no invasion unless Russia is provoked, and then cites alleged instances of provocation which would seem to undercut peaceful reassurances. Expect cyber tensions to rise accordingly. Google's threat analysis group has outlined a watering hole campaign apparently designed by a well-resourced group, likely state-backed, exploiting a macOS zero day to spy on Hong Kong democracy advocates. Google's researchers write, Quote, the watering hole served an XNU privilege escalation vulnerability, CVE 2021-3869, unpatched in macOS Catalina, which led to the installation of a previously unreported backdoor, end quote. 
Google disclosed its discovery to Apple, and Apple patched the vulnerability in the last week of September. Google doesn't say which state is the likely backer of this particular campaign, but the report is being widely received as calling out a Chinese intelligence operation. The Chinese services have been taking a greater interest in Taiwan lately, too. That's the conclusion Taiwan's National Defense Report for 2021, released Tuesday, describes significant increases in Chinese collection against what Beijing regards as a breakaway province. Breaking Defense sees Taipei's report as echoing many of the conclusions of the U.S. Defense Department's China Military Power Report, which also sees Taiwan as one of China's principal targets. The U.S. and the EU have announced that they'll join the Paris call for trust and security in cyberspace, agreeing to support the call's nine principles. The U.S. adherence to the call represents a change from the previous administration's policy. So far, 80 states, 36 public authorities and local governments 391 organizations and members of civil society and 706 companies have joined. The Paris Call's nine principles are worth reviewing. First, protect individuals and infrastructure. Second, protect the Internet. Third, defend electoral processes. Fourth, defend intellectual property. Fifth, non-proliferation. Six, life cycle security. Seven, cyber hygiene. 8. No private hack back, and 9. International norms. The CEO designate of controversial intercept vendor NSO Group has stepped down before formally assuming leadership of the company, Reuters reports. Isaac Benbenisti explained in his letter to NSO Group's chairman that special circumstances arising from the company's placement on a U.S. blacklist render it impossible for him to carry out his vision for the firm's future. NSO Group has been controversial in many countries, and its position as a prominent vendor of readily abused surveillance tools has become an embarrassment to the Israeli government. The Jerusalem Post reports that the Palestinian Authority said this week that several employees of its foreign ministry have had NSO's Pegasus tool installed on their phones. The Israeli Defense Ministry, the Post says, declined to comment, and NSO Group said that it's not the operator of the products it sells. Any abuse, in the company's view, is the responsibility of the operators. Trend Micro has published an extensive report on a cyber mercenary operation it's calling Void Balaur, and whose activities the researchers say at first appeared to be associated with the GRU's APT-28, or Pawn Storm. On further review, however, they think it likelier to be linked to the mercenary group also known as Rocket Hack, which was itself described earlier this year. Void Balaur has been advertised in underground C2C markets since 2017, at least. As far as Trend Micro can tell, the group has an exclusively Russophone clientele. Quote, to our knowledge, Void Balaur has never advertised in underground forums that were not Russian-language-oriented. However, there used to be a website on rockethack.me that was registered on February 21, 2018, and that was available on its bare IP address until at least December 2020. On the website, Void Balaur listed services such as hacking into mailboxes or flooding them with spam— distributed denial-of-service attacks, and flooding phone numbers, 
in Commonwealth of Independent States or CIS countries only. End quote. For what it's worth, the criminal word of mouth about Void Balaur is pretty favorable. Quote, the feedback that Void Balaur receives on underground forums is unanimously positive. Posters mention that the hacking service delivers the requested information on time, while others commented positively on the quality of the delivered information from mailboxes. Yet others posted about passport details they had requested. End quote. Void Balaur's offerings would be equally attractive to criminal gangs and espionage services. The latter, Trend Micro points out, would regard the cyber mercenaries as strategic assets. Some developments at the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency are worth mentioning. First, the agency continues to issue advisories on ICS security. CISA yesterday released 18 industrial control system advisories. Second, Director Easterly said that her agency intends to increase its capacity to work against disinformation and misinformation. The Hill reports that the move to expand that capacity is motivated by the experience of the 2020 U.S. election. And third, CISA intends to bring a set of white hat hackers into a cybersecurity advisory board, which, according to the account in Roll Call, would not only serve as a source of advice, but would also help preclude the growth of an underground market for zero days. And finally, some sad news for the cybersecurity industry. Alan Poller, founder of the Sands Institute and for many years a leader in the sector, passed away Tuesday at the age of 76. He's being especially remembered for his contributions to education in the field. Our condolences to his family, friends, and colleagues. His was a life well lived, and he will be missed. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. 
Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Ativo Networks recently released research highlighting the gaps in security for Active Directory and that many organizations are struggling to identify the best tools and techniques to do so. Carolyn Crandall is Chief Security Advocate and CMO at Ativo Networks. Active Directory, it's remarkable for it being the main directory services of most organizations. However, it's not often thought about. It's more uh, relegated to kind of a plumbing maintenance. But what's been seen in so many major attacks today is that attackers are getting in and they're exploiting Active Directory. And because it really is the keys to the kingdom, they're then able to conduct these massive attacks and demand very large ransomware payments. And so What is happening is organizations are needing to rethink how they protect their active directory and try to find ways to to kind of build that castle and remote around active directory, especially in today's distributed world. It's, It's just now there's no longer a perimeter border. So now you've got to think about it as far as identities and how they'll access this resource and how to better protect it, given that that's how they'll be trying to exploit it and get in. So what are you and your colleagues there at Ativo tracking in terms of of how folks are coming at Active Directory? So we track it on many fronts. Um, We like to follow the attacker. And if you start at the endpoint, you look at the exposed credentials and how the attacker is able to find the attack paths and the access into Active Directory. And, And they're looking for everything from the credentials that may be left there so that they get privileged access. And then they're looking for other exposures and vulnerabilities to be able to get in so that they can take control. And once they are able to get control, then they're able to do things like download mass amounts of malware, they can reset security policies, they can do things to hide their tracks, they can delete backups, they can do all kinds of damaging things. And so once you hit that Active Directory level, you're looking at the visibility to those exposures, plus you're also looking at the live attack activity in order to see when those things such as a mass uh, account change is being made or uh, mass password changes or things like DC shadow or DC sync type of attacks or those favorite golden ticket type of attacks that can be quite deadly. And so you're, you're really looking for that activity to be able to detect it before any real damages can be done. And how do users get insights onto that? I mean, what are your recommendations in terms of detection methods? Yeah, a lot has changed. I mean, before a lot of people would be using, um, you know, logs and other things to look for unusual behavior. But unfortunately, there's just not enough AD administrators and time, quite honestly, to do this in the manual way that's been done before. And so what you've seen in the last year is a lot of automation coming around automated uh, Active Directory security assessments. And uh, you can use uh, tools for that. So there you can see uh, visibility to um, vulnerabilities and also the exposures. So not just, you know, are you patched, but also where those misconfigurations are there. 
And then there's also some really cool um, two levels of technology. One is to see if an attacker is trying to enumerate Active Directory. And then there's also cool concealment technology that's out today that actually hides the Active Directory objects from the attacker and then will misdirect them. And they do this by feeding it disinformation. And it's it's amazing because if the attacker is using their typical tools, like say Bloodhound or Mimikatz, they're going to do their query. They're going to get the information back that they think they're supposed to get. And so they're going to take action, but it's really disinformation that can just steer them into a decoy. And here they kind of spill their beans, right? Now they get all the, the information collected on their TTPs and and they get information so they can shut down that attack, but also get counterintelligence on how that attacker is attacking them. So it's super efficient. It throws off the real attackers. We see it all the time with pen testers and the red teams come back and say, hey, I, I, I got into your active directory. And, and now, fortunately, the defenders are like, well, no, not really. Here's every step you took, you know, from right. 20 command sets in about what you're doing. So it's, it's really fascinating technology. You want to know if somebody is in tampering with your active directory. And it's a really no excuse situation anymore, right? You know, if, if it is your crown jewels and it can change and cause such damaging harm to your organization that whether it's driven by compliance or insurance policies, things are going to get tighter and not protecting your active directory could be seen as uh, negligent behavior. And so we know it's coming in 2022, a lot of changes around it. So I definitely encourage businesses to get ready for it and to change their security architectures. It's not hard to do, uh, not expensive to do either, but get ready for the things that are going to be expected around active directory protection, because it's just not acceptable not to protect that valuable of a resource anymore. That's Carolyn Crandall from Ativo Networks. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear the full interview, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast, which I must admit is my second favorite daily cybersecurity podcast uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, (laughs) Johannes, it's always great to have you back. Um, I wanted to touch base today about vaccination cards and COVID tests. You know, I recently went in and got my booster shot and I felt really good about that. But one of the things that struck me is that... uh, there's nothing particularly secure about these cards that they're handing out these days. Yeah, and that's part of the problem. So, you know, fake cards. But in order to get a fake card or create a fake card, you need some information that looks legitimate. Like, for example, the lot number of the vaccine should be one that actually has been used in a particular area. Uh, that can sort of be used to identify fake cards. What happens, sadly, more and more is uh, these cards leaking. Now, Initially, we have seen people posting them on social media, but uh, with some of the regulations, for example, around travel, uh, your airline, or even a travel agent or someone that arranges travel for you, a hotel, may ask you to provide them with a copy of the card and what easier to do than just send it to them in an email. And what we are seeing is uh, these vaccination cards, but also uh, COVID test results. 
leaking more and more, and essentially all it takes is a decent uh, Google query in order to find them. So that's one problem that people just overshare a little bit. And I don't really want to just point to social media. It's also sending them as an email. Uh, for example, what we found is there are a bunch of these cards and vaccination results and test results on VirusTotal. Uh, VirusTotal, mm. what a lot of people don't realize, makes essentially all the documents that you upload to them public. Uh, now, you need... Uh, paid access for the data to search it but still you know it's public it's after all owned by Google so Google is in the in the business of making data like this public and searchable you know i think that's a really interesting point i mean do you have any insights into to what degree are are things that we send around in email attachments that that go out via email are bad actors scanning for that stuff actively yeah, what often happens is, in particular with email attachments like PDFs, and often in this case it is a PDF, that some organizations are essentially using scripts to upload these files to VirusTotal. It saves them buying all of these virus scanners themselves and then trusting VirusTotal's results, whether or not a file is malicious or not, which is on the surface not a bad idea, but inadvertently in sending these documents to virus total they're making them public and uh, yes actually uh covid test results are probably one of the lesser issues here as far as confidential documents that are being uploaded so are you saying that really all it takes is a paid membership to virus total and you have access to all of these scanned documents correct uh you have to find the right keyword to search for and uh, then it's essentially kind of like a google search but just against the database of documents uploaded to VirusTotal. So you definitely should be a little bit careful. And I don't want to take away from the value of VirusTotal. They provide a very valuable service. As an alternative, instead of uploading the document, you can also just query a hash of the document with VirusTotal to see if it was already uploaded and uh, either found to be malicious or not malicious. So that's another option, not quite as good as uploading the actual document if you're trying to find malware but probably a, a better compromise. Yeah, I mean, is this a situation where perhaps folks should be uh, using different uh, services to, or, dare I say, paying for services to scan their email? Yeah, it's not that terribly hard to build your own little virus total and not that terribly expensive necessarily, uh, given that you know all you have to buy is a couple licenses for different uh, virus scanners and maybe create a script and probably you can even find one already exists that does these scans for you on-premise, on your systems. But it's, it's old-fashioned, David. Nobody's doing anything <laughs> on-premise anymore. We all send our data in the cloud and cross our fingers and hope for the best. Yes, I, I stand corrected, of course. All right, well, Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. If you find yourself with some free time this weekend, be sure to check out Research Saturday and my conversation with Tara Gould from Anomaly. We're discussing their research inside Team TNT's impressive arsenal, a look into a Team TNT server. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe. 
where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you.